And at this time, we will invite the ushers to come forward to receive the offering. And as they do, we'll go over some of the announcements. We will be, this year, in a couple of weeks, it'll be Easter. So we'll have our normal Sunday services for Easter. But also on Good Friday, which is April the 6th, we're going to have a Good Friday service here in the sanctuary at noon, 12 to 1. So I know some of you will be working during that time, but if you have the time available, we'll join together as a, as a body and have communion and just celebrate the gift of Jesus Christ and His death for us. And then, of course, Sunday, celebrate His resurrection. This Saturday night, March 31st at 6 o'clock, we're having a special missions prayer night. Um, we haven't done one of these for a while, and everyone's invited. We'll meet in the fellowship hall Saturday night at 6 p.m. and uh, hear some of the things that God is doing among our missionaries. Um, Steve Bailey has just got back from Vietnam and Laos, and he's going to be sharing a little bit of what happened there and, and the opportunities that they had. We have a few other people, I believe, who... We have a girl, Tanya, from our church who's going to be leaving as a missionary pretty quick, and she's going to come and share a bit, and some other people possibly as well. So it'll be a neat chance to just come and celebrate what God's doing and, and uh, to gather together as a family and to pray for our missionaries and for what God's doing around the world. So this Saturday, 6 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. If you are a children's church volunteer, they'll be taking ID photos, if you don't have yours already, on uh, Sunday, April 1st, after first and second service in the children's ministry office. So if that applies to you, you can see Pastor Ken if you need more details. We're starting a small group for couples fellowship the second Saturday of each, each month, beginning in April, on April 14th. And so... 7 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall on April 14th, and then every second Saturday of the month after that. Um, couples will get together and divide up into groups of like four or five couples and go over a scripture and then pray for each other and support each other. So I would encourage you to participate in that. Women's Ministry is hosting a girls' movie night, the girls' night out on Friday, April 13th at 7 p.m., and you can get tickets for that. Sign up in the foyer after the service. Let's see, today, third service, the girls' high school discipleship group meets out in the bus, and so if you have a high school daughter, encourage them to stick around for third service and go to that Bible study. Our evangelism training, street witnessing ministry meets on Fridays at 6.30, and anyone who wants to get involved in that or who would like to participate, get some training, come on out on Friday nights at 6.30. Women's ministry will meet this week, Tuesday night at 6.45, and Friday morning at 9, and any women are welcome. You don't have to have been already. If you're available either on that Tuesday evening or Friday morning, ladies, you're invited to come. And then we're taking sign-ups for the couples retreat that's May 4th through the 6th at the Ayers Hotel and uh, in Costa Mesa, so you can sign up in the foyer for that. All of that being said, let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. This morning we will be finishing up the book of Philippians. It's been a great, a great time in this great book. It's definitely one of my favorite books, and having just gone through it again, I'm reminded over and over again of how much is in this little four-chapter book, and, and I've enjoyed it. We will be next, well, 
Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and so we'll have a Palm Sunday message, and following Sunday is Easter, and we'll have an Easter message, and then after that, Lord willing, if the Lord hasn't come back yet, we will be starting in on the book of 1 Corinthians, and so I'm looking forward to that. This morning, we look at this last section in Philippians chapter 4, and it's talking about a a subject that sometimes can be uncomfortable for us, and that's the topic of giving to the ministry, giving to the Lord's work. As we saw last week, Paul introduced the section on giving and then kind of took a detour, as we did last week, to talk about contentment. And always in the Bible, when it's talking about giving, it is also talking about contentment. Because if we don't learn to get off that treadmill, that rat race, if we continue to give in to what society is telling us, we always need more, we never have enough. If we continue trying to do that, we'll never have anything left over to give to the Lord's work. We'll never have anything left over to overflow onto others. And so as Paul started the discussion on giving in verse 10 and then verses 11 through 13, he said, first of all, you need to adjust your lifestyle so that you're flexible, so that you're not in debt, so that you are learning what I've learned, that sometimes you have a lot, great. Sometimes you don't have anything, that's great too. Be content where you are. Don't try to fix it just because you don't have everything that your heart could ever desire. Decide to limit yourself at some point. And so talking about contentment then in the midst of that discussion, he gives us some important principles about giving. Now, again, giving is something that's a sensitive subject because it's been abused so much. There are so many people who use giving, as the Scripture teaches it, in a way that's really designed to get more money for the church or to to appeal to people so that they will make our lives as ministers easier. And it's embarrassing often the way that it's talked about, and therefore so often we skirt the subject completely. But to do so is, is dangerous because it is an important subject for us to understand. And so I don't, if you're new here today, this is the first time I've talked about this as long as I can remember. And it, we probably won't talk about it for a lot longer, but you're going to hear about it today. We took the offering before I talked about it. So <laughs> there's not going to be anyone at the door trying to squeeze you for more. You had your opportunity. It's gone. <laughs> Beginning with verse 10, and we kind of went through this quickly last week, but I want to look at it again because it's his introductory comment. He says, and remember this book was written as a thank you note, ultimately, because the Philippians had sent a contribution to Paul. Paul was in prison in Rome. The Philippians lived there in present-day Turkey, and they were part of the Roman Empire and a church that Paul had established when he was in jail there in Philippi and witnessed to the Philippian jailer. Now, he says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. The thing I want to point out here is that Paul associates giving with care. He he said basically, and he goes, I know sometimes you didn't have the opportunity, and you still cared even when you didn't have the opportunity, but when you had the opportunity and you were able to give your care really flourished. That's when I could see your concern. He was basically saying, you know, you know, I always know you guys care about me, but the fact that you give lets me know in a tangible way that you really care. 
Now, for us, it's a reminder that care and giving are associated. If you, if you care, it will show. If, on the other hand, you have no desire to give, you have no desire to share, then that is showing you something about your heart. You can pretend to care, but really, caring is shown by giving. Now, for a, for a Jewish audience, they had a great tradition of giving and tithing. But for the most part, most of these people weren't Jewish and didn't have that tradition. In the Old Testament, the, the uh, Old Testament law mandated tithes and offerings. And they said it was tithes. The word tithe means a tenth. And so often we talk today and think that tithing means, okay, give a tenth of everything that you, that you make or everything that you have. And that's true to a point, but actually in the Old Testament there were several tithes. Not only did they give a tenth of their first fruits, but then there were special occasions when tithes were also offered. Really the tithes there were to provide, it was, a lot of it was equivalent to our income tax. Because it wasn't just their church, it was their government they were supporting as well. There are people today who want to be real legalistic about tithing, and I would say that the New Testament church is not taught that they have to give 10%. So I'll let you off the hook on that one. And I really don't. Now, there are people who say, oh, the tithing is not just the law because it predates the law. Didn't Abraham tithe to Melchizedek? And I say, yeah, Abraham did tithe to Melchizedek, but that was just a one-time thing, and it was totally a free will offering on his part. God never told him to. Now, after the law, people will say, well, wait a minute, Jesus taught tithing, because over in Matthew 23, he was talking to the Pharisees and said, you guys tithe of mint and aloes, you tithe every little detail, and he said, you ought to do that, but what's more, you ought to offer your heart and change your life. Now, some people would say, see, that's New Testament mandate to tithe, because Jesus said that you ought to do. That's really weak, frankly, biblically to say that because, for one thing, if you're going to take your whole proof text for tithing and take it from a rebuke that Jesus was giving to the Pharisees, that's kind of weak, especially when it's never commanded in any of the epistles or anywhere through the book of Acts. But not only that, they were still, in, in the book of Matthew, Jesus hadn't died and risen yet, and so they were really still under the law at that point. Jesus came to fulfill the law. So for us in the New Testament, we're set free from the law. And so for anyone to tell you that you owe God 10%, don't believe it. I, I don't see that in Scripture. But actually, before you think you get off easy, <laughs> because of what Jesus has done for us, the truth is maybe in the Old Testament, as much as 30% they were mandated to give, but in the New Testament, we owe him everything. Everything I have came from him, and everything I have belongs to him. So it's not a question of how much I need to give to God. It's a question of how much of God's money I, I dare spend on myself and keep for myself. And so, you know, in the Old Testament, under the law, there were definitely these commands. I, I think of in the book of Nehemiah, where Nehemiah led the children of Israel in this great revival, and there in the last chapter, he found out that the Levites, the ministers, couldn't afford to minister without going and working on the side. 
And so he, he reproved the people and he told them, get your tithe in here so that this doesn't have to happen this way. In the book of Malachi, God talks to the people and he said, you're ripping me off. You're robbing me because you're hanging on to your tithe. You're not giving as I've commanded you to give. And he said, man, if you'll just give, you'll see. I'll give back. I'll, I'll bless you incredibly. And we'll see some of that later on in this passage too. But that's that mandated giving. New Testament giving is God saying, I've given you everything. Now, what I want you to do, all I want you to do is to respond to what I've done for you and give as you've purposed in your heart. He reminds them, as you sow, you'll reap, and we'll see that later on too. But he says, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't calculate it to the penny. God says, don't insult me by paying me like you pay your bills, you know, or just have it taken out automatically. But give as I have blessed you. As I have prospered you, you give. So Paul says here in verse 10, if you're giving, you show that you care. If you are not giving, you're showing that you don't care. Pretty simple. Unless you really don't have an opportunity, and then you need to go back to last week's lesson about contentment. Now, skipping down to verse 14, again, re returning to this discussion after the talk about you know, the contentment and doing all things through Christ who strengthens us, then he says, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. He said, when you guys gave to me, you're sharing in my distress. Now, Paul knew what distress was like. He knew what it was like to be stoned, to be beaten, to be imprisoned. That was the story of his life. He knew what that was like. And really, there he is in prison, and they send him a little contribution periodically. It didn't change his distress all that much. But it meant a lot to him because they wanted to share in his distress. It was almost a token thing, but it, it, but it was something that was sacrificial for them. They were giving up something that was valuable to them, and in a little way, alleviating a bit of his pain and, and participating in that. And when we give, a part of what we give is just to show people that we're sharing in their suffering that we know what they are going through and, and we can't solve their problems, but at the same time, we can participate. It's one of the reasons why, and we'll see later as he refers to giving as a sacrifice, we shouldn't just give stuff we have laying around. There's a place where we should give up certain things in order to help someone else. Even if you have enough money that you can eat a great meal every day for the rest of your life, you know, there's a time when you can benefit from skipping a meal and then taking the money that you would have spent on that meal and specifically give it to a ministry that feeds hungry people. There's a connection that happens there when we realize, and for most of us, skipping a meal would not hurt us too much. And yet, to know what it feels to be hungry a little bit and to know that what you would have spent to, to buy a meal might have bought someone in another country 20 meals when they're dying of starvation. We can't feed the world. Maybe we should if we could, but realistically, most of us aren't in a position to do that. But we can connect and share in distress. Sometimes I think it would be good for us to 
find a homeless person and take them out to dinner, not just buy them a sandwich and toss it out your car window to them, you know, and hey, God bless you, but I'm talking about a really nice meal. You know, I wonder what it would do to someone who's come up against hard times. Maybe they're dependent on alcohol or drugs, and every time anyone looks at them, they feel that shame, they feel that sense of, oh man, I hope that no one sees me who knew me when I was younger and now sees how disgusting I am. And living that kind of life, never knowing what's going to happen next, I wonder what it would feel like to be in that spot and to have someone take you to a really nice restaurant and get you a good steak. And to share with them, just to say, you know what, I don't have a job to give you, I can't buy you a house, frankly, I can't help you get off drugs, and I know that that's your problem, but I want to connect with you, I want to be able to share with you in your distress. Giving is a way in which we can relate to others. If, if only in a symbolic way, if only in a minor way, it's saying, I will share in your distress. I heard yesterday, I was driving from one wedding to another wedding that I was doing, and, and I heard K.P. Yohannan from Gospel for Asia. He's an Indian evangelist, and God has used him greatly. And K.P. was talking about when he first came to this country, and God was laying on his heart the, the need to to share the gospel with millions. And so he had seen all the suffering and everything among the lower class people there in India. He said when he got here, he found a kind of soap that he really liked. And it cost $1.35 for a bar of soap. And he was like, wow, that was a lot of money. But this stuff, it smelled really good and it lathered up nicely. And for the first few months that he lived here, he used that $1.35 soap. And, And then he said... He was in the store and he went to get the soap and he saw another bar of soap that was like ivory or something and it was only like 35 cents. And he thought, what could I do with the difference between you know, that dollar difference in a bar of soap? There are some people in this world who could live on that dollar for a month. And he said, I'm not teaching a legalistic sort of thing that, no, of course, we're, we're free to do what God lays on our heart to do. But it was just the idea, even in a symbolic way, of just denying ourselves. It's a reason, I believe, one of the reasons why God calls us to periodically fast. And I think it's one of the reasons why he calls us to give as well. Because it's good for us to do without because it reminds us of what it would be like to be without. And at the same time, if that can transfer and help someone else, it's making a connection. It's saying, we are all in this together. So he says, you've done well that you shared in my distress. Now in verse 15, Paul goes on and says, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia... No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. The beginning of the gospel, what he's referring to is the first day when the church at Philippi was founded. Paul was there in Philippi, and he was released miraculously from prison, stuck around, shared the gospel with the jailer, with several other people, and the church was started. He left Philippi there in Macedonia, and and then he moved on and continued his missionary journey and went to Thessalonica later. And he's saying, from day one, you guys supported me. 
And not only that, when I left, no other church was helping support me, just you guys. And even when I was ministering in Thessalonica, they weren't giving me anything. You guys, and you're not rich. Philippi wasn't a rich city. But you were contributing to my ministry when I was even ministering in Thessalonica. He appreciated the fact that they were basically the only ones who shared with him. Well, what can we derive from this? What can we learn about giving from this? You might think this is a stretch, but hear me out. And, I, and I, I think it's supported by the scriptures. You know, when we look at where to give and what to give and to whom to give, so often we find ourselves led to give where everyone else is giving. There are certain charities and ministries, and they're great groups, and God's doing great work through them. But they have huge amounts, millions and millions of dollars that they raise constantly. And I praise God for what he does through these ministries. But so often when we think of giving, we listen to, it's the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. Now these are the ministries who print up fancy brochures. They're the ones who have TV ads and videos of starving children and everything. And, and yeah, they, they do a good job of promoting and they do some good work. But the thing is, is that the best bang for your buck? I'd suggest maybe it isn't. Now, if God calls you to give to those ministries, I would never tell you to hold back. But in my mind, I'd like to try to find places where other people aren't giving. I would like to have the kind of significance to what I do that, that the Philippians had with Paul. And how does that work? Well, for one thing, I know for our church, we have a, we have a missions budget, and then we also have special contributions that come in for missions. And we look for ways to invest. And what we are looking for now, we support all of the missionaries that we regularly support are people who are members of our church, who've come through our church and left from our church. And so we have that support and that's fine. But we also have extra funds that come in and always we get together and we're looking for a way, how could this money really make a huge difference? The truth is, with the amount of money that we spend to sponsor a Western missionary to go over and live in another culture, you could support a ton of, of you know, people who live in that country, nationals, to do the work. And so we're always opening our eyes and looking for opportunities to make that kind of difference. And when we find out about someone that's not famous, someone who couldn't even, wouldn't even know how to make a web page, and yet they're doing great things for God, we get really excited about that. It's why, for instance, there's a little guy in Cambodia named Chom No, and we just, some of the guys ran into him on a missions trip, and he has his own little ministry, and it's growing incredibly, but he looks for ways to make a difference, and he's the man who, one time we gave him, I think, $500, and he put a well in that provided water for an entire village of predominantly Muslim people. But they let us come in, and I was able to share the gospel with those people and tell them that this is a gift from Jesus, and, and their whole lives were changed by 500 bucks, you know? And it's like, man, how can you beat that? How can you? That would pay our utility bills, most of us, for a month. And this changed the city in the name of Jesus. And this guy's always doing it. So we, a lot of times when we have extra money, we just go, Hey, Chom, no, here, the Lord's laid on our heart. Here's 
$500, here's the $1,000. And I can give money to Chomno, and I know that within a few months, he'll send back this email of really broken English. You can hardly understand what he's saying, but I hope he doesn't listen to this tape. <laughs> if he does, Chomno has great English. And, <laughs> but he'll give us a breakdown of every penny, how it's spent, what it was, and it's like, you as a body, we as we give money, it's like changing people's lives, hundreds and thousands of them for eternity. Steve Bailey was just, who's our missions pastor, was just over there a couple weeks ago, and with Chom Noah baptized like 90 new believers just from just very recently from the work that God is doing there. But Steve also, the main reason he was on his trip for, to spend a month, he and Dave Nichols went to Cambodia and Laos and went throughout the country. And one of the things they were doing was looking to see what God is doing in little corners of this communist country that has been so oppressed and has been victimized so much over the years and looking for things that God is doing. And so Steve was contacting local underground churches and people who are doing the work there, little old, you know, Vietnamese missionaries who are heading out into the jungles and witnessing for Jesus Christ. And Steve was looking for, because we want to find ways in which the little bit of money we have can make a big difference. And that's what I see when I see this verse here, that Paul was going, he didn't just do the easy thing. He didn't just go, yeah, here you go, I'm done. But it was like, you took seriously to look for a way that you could make a real difference. And he said, you made a real difference. And that's what we as a church try to do. But it's also something that I would challenge you to do. See, if I'm telling you, you need to give, you need to give, you need to give, it sounds really self-serving because if you give to the church and I control it, it's like I want you to give me an opportunity to have that joy of giving. It's your fruit, it's your gift. It has nothing to do with me. But also, I would tell you, be a little more creative than just, you know, uh, figuring out a percentage of your income and make the church out, make the check out to Pacific Hills and think you're done with it. I, you know, what God wants you to give is he wants you to be a good steward. And so maybe he wants you to contribute to our church and certainly we appreciate that and that's why we're here and it's a good thing. But it's not that easy. You should also be looking and praying and asking God for you, some of what you give might be to a family on your street that's needy that looks like they could just use some help. Finding out about a student who's struggling and offering to pay to have them get some tutoring or whatever. Of course, we offer tutoring here as well for free. But looking for chances to do things. Sometimes it might mean somebody in your family is really hurting and you just wanna help them out a little bit. Now remember, you can't take their problems on yourself. You can't support people. Most people who are in a rough spot got there because of bad choices and they need to learn to make different choices. But in some way, if God lays it on your heart, be open to what he wants you to do with that money because he wants you to think hard, to be a good steward, and to be creative with what you do. Give, I don't care where you give. If God shows you to give it to another church, fine. It doesn't matter to me. I want you to give because, as we see here, it's good for you. But in this case, they found where a great need was, and they met a part of that need. It was just periodic. It wasn't so that Paul would be dependent on them, but they made a difference. As we read on, 
He says in verse 17, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. He said, it's really not that you give to me that I'm excited because I got it. He said, when I get excited about you giving, it's because I know that it's going to make a difference in your life. There will be fruit that will overflow to you. Now, this doesn't mean it's not a dollar-for-dollar thing. Often we hear people talking about this and saying, if you give God a dollar, he'll give you back ten and whatever. No, he may give you fruit in other ways. It's not just that he's going to pay back. But um, Paul talks about over in 2 Corinthians, and he uses the law of sowing and reaping. And he, and he says, you've got to understand. In fact, turn over there, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 